Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese, joined as always by Nima Tavali. And on today's show, we will review match day three of Serie A, the first really big weekend of the season with three huge matchups. Are Milan the real deal after winning again in Rome? Is it third season syndrome all over again for Jose Mourinho as Roma? Well, it's been a crisis starts the season for them. Lazio end their own crisis as Maurizio Sarri earns another historic victory in Naples, partly thanks to the to the genius of Luis Alberto. And of course, there are already question marks now over Napoli manager Rudy Garcia. Inter absolutely destroy Fiorentina with Lautaro Martinez on fire and his strike partner, his new strike partner, Marcus Taram, scoring his first Inter goal. While Juventus get back to winning ways, partly thanks to a fantastic goal from Federico Chiesa. We'll review all the other big matches and big talking points from the weekend ahead of the international break. So, for all our first-time listeners, this is our free weekly episode that we do every Monday reviewing the weekend Serie A action and all the biggest talking points in Italian football. If you want to support the Italian Football Podcast and re- receive all of our content that we do throughout the week, including a weekly Q&A episode every Tuesday where we answer all of the questions from our patrons, plus a weekly Thursday midweek review show, plus interviews, post-match reaction, and much, much more, then go to patreon.com slash TIFP and become a subscriber for just $2.99 a month plus VAT. And now you can also sign up to be a paid subscriber on Spotify, and we will provide the link in the description. Same price, same terms. And for all of you that do listen on Spotify, Apple, and iTunes podcasts, we'd really appreciate if you give us a five-star rating, give us a follow and a like. We're on YouTube as well because it really helps us to grow and do more quality content. So let's get into today's show, but first, a word from our sponsor. Making your own podcast is fun, but the production of podcasts can also be challenging if you don't have the right software. With Zencaster, the whole process is quick and straightforward. Here at the Italian Football Podcast, we aim to have the highest of standards, and Zencaster provides crystal clear sound and fantastic HD video quality. Furthermore, it's really easy to use. Even boomers like Carlo can manage. There's nothing to download, just one click, and we start recording each episode. Zencaster ensures that your podcasting experience is easy and enjoyable. You don't even have to leave your browser as it possesses all the tools required to get the episode done, from local recording to automatic post-productions. Go to zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code ItalianFootball, one word. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Right, so let's start off with Milan, the Friday night game, the big match in Rome at the Olimpico between Roma and Milan. Milan win 2-1, their third straight victory to start the season. And people are already starting to ask the question, is this Milan the real deal, Nima? Well, you and I have been saying for quite some time that we think they are, and we really like their Mercato. A lot of people didn't, but you and I consistently did, uh, especially Christian Pulisic. If I may if I may toot my own horn, I did say he was going to be the first U.S. men's national team to, have a, to break out and be a star at a classic 
European super, cl super clubs, traditionally big club. And I think he's done an absolutely, he's, he started really, really well. He didn't score against Roma, but Milan can hurt you in many different ways. We know how good Rafael Leao are. Rafael Leao is. We know how good Teo Hernandez is. Well, now they've got the depth as well. They can hurt you in very many different ways, and they're a difficult side, and they're defensively solid. We already knew that as well. Um, no, I, I, they are they are so so good. They look so solid. Um, I think they just they, they completely dominated the game, um, and. I, I'm, you know, if we're perfectly honest, I think if they hadn't, if, if Tomori hadn't gotten himself sent off, I think we we would we could have been talking about a three three nil four nil win. To be honest, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They, they, it was a fantastic performance. They they created lots of opportunities. They they conceded absolutely nothing in terms of chances until until the red card. Or I would actually say until Romelu Lukaku came on. Um, until then. Roma didn't didn't lay a glove on them. And they dominated possession. They had 63% of possession. You have a look at all the statistics. The XG, 1.63 to 0.41, which would have been even more emphatic if, like you said, there hadn't been the red card. Uh, and, you know, throughout the team, it was a great team performance, but also so many individually great performances as well. I mean, Rafael Leal, we have to start with him because... His bicycle kick goal, I mean, that that is just insane. He's 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 half on the floor, lying on the floor, back to goal in a really awkward position. And he he manages to to execute that kind of acrobatic bicycle kick. I mean, it's an it's just an insane goal, the, the difficulty level of that. Um, I mean, it's already a contender for goal of the season, but without aside a doubt, from that, without a doubt. Yeah. Um and, and also I've got a I got to hand it to our good friend Patrick Kendrick. I know he doesn't like when we talk about him, but his call of that goal was just as good as that goal itself. Go and see it, check it out on YouTube. Um, it was it was fantastic. Um, yeah. No, look, Rafael Leao. We like I said, we know how good he is. Um, this isn't news to us. But if he's going, if you know, if he can really be the icing on Milan's cake, um, when when Milan are this good, then Milan will hurt teams. And I think they, they're going to hurt teams, not just in, in Italy. I think I, I actually think that... I think I, I can't remember if I said it in my prediction, but I, I actually have Milan going the farthest of all Serie A teams in the Champions League. I think they play in a way that that will pay off in Europe as well, um, given the depth and you know the, the quality of, of Teo, uh, who, who I know we're going to get to. But I have to first... I'm not going to do a mea culpa, but I'm going to say that I'm preparing the groundwork to raise my hand up and do a mea culpa because if Ruben Loftus-Cheek is going to continue playing like this, well, he's one of the signings of the season, isn't he? He was absolutely fantastic again. Yeah. No, I, I would say he was he was man of the match for Milan mm. if you take away that Rafael Leal goal, which is such a insane goal that it automatically I think makes you the man of the match if you score a goal mm, like that no. but if you look at the overall performance from the beginning to end um, until he came off uh, he was great uh, Roma couldn't get close to him like he was bouncing off challenges he was so dominant so strong um, he 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 was he was he was great he was he was totally running the show in the in the in the midfield and I think nothing uh, no, nothing symbolised his already his importance for this Milan team. If you look at the reactions 
there's a video that, that that's gone viral on on social media of Teo Hernandez and, and Rafael Leal complaining to to Stefano Pioli when Pioli took Rof, Ruben Loftus cheek off. Um, and I mean, you could look at both ways and you say they shouldn't be doing that, but you can also look at it as well from Ruben Loftus cheek point of view. This is a player that Tio and Leal, the two you know Milan's two best outfield players, the respect he's already got from them that they're complaining they don't want him taken off. Um, it also so shows he's really integrated well. I mean, all the signings, Pulisic, Reinders, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, they've all integrated really, really well into this Milan side. And that really bodes well because usually, you know, you when we, you know, we, we said, I think we did raise a little warning that, you know, this side might need some time to gel and get going. Oh, they no, they don't. They're already flying out of the blocks and they seem to get along really well off the pitch as well. Um, yeah. But no, it, it, it's it's absolutely great. But I do think we should talk about the inverted fullbacks. That seems to be the theme in world football. If if it's not Destiny Udoji, you know, if it's not the inverted fullback tactics, yeah, uh, if it's absolutely. not Andrea Cambiasso, now it's Calabrianteo as well. Yeah, it's getting to the point now where I feel like this is going to become redundant by Christmas. Because yeah. everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to be doing it. It's going to be pointless doing it anymore and, so, and, and someone's going to have to come up with something new. Um, because that's kind of what happens. Is that's what that's the cycles of football tactics. You know, somebody comes up with something new, everybody copies it, and then it becomes redundant because everyone's copying it, or so, or, every, or people work out ways to counter it. But it's the it. thing, though is is everyone copy? It feels like this is just where football is. Everyone is doing this right now. Everybody is like, slowly starting to do it. I mean, probably the exceptions are. I mean, Mourinho. I mean, put it this way, right? Um, this kind of tactic will work brilliant against a team like Mourinho. We'll come to Mourinho. We'll talk about it in a, in a minute about how you know he's a little bit outdated with his with his type type of tactics. But you know it worked brilliantly in the, brilliantly in this game. And Calabria, who you would never imagine being an inverted fullback playing in central midfield, whenever Milan had the ball, Calabria was coming into central midfield in the build up. Teo was doing it quite a bit as well. Um, sometimes they were doing it together. Krunic was dropping to centre back to make a three man centre back um, in the in the build up. And this is a reason why Pioli liked Krunic so much and doesn't mm. want to sell him. Is the Turkish market closed yet? I think it's still open for a little while. I think while it's still open for reason, a little while. Yeah, yeah, this is the reason why Pioli's been so strong and adamant that he doesn't want Krunic to go because he feels like he's tactically very, he's t- tactically key and that he's able to drop into a centre-back in the, in the build-up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it worked fantastically for Milan and it meant that they completely dominated. Well, I read out the possession figures before. It meant they completely dominated centre midfield um so it's interesting like you said Milan have, have got so many different ways of killing you but they're also tactically very flexible and versatile and 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 so yeah this is another string another string to the to the Milan bow it really is it really is and I think Milan are I still think it's going to be a three-horse race. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and come with reductive takes and say stuff like, oh, because the Napoli lost, that they're out of the Scudetto race. That would be stupid and silly on match day three. Uh, but, um, but I There do, are two teams that have stood... There are two teams that far. look... Yeah, yeah they, there are two teams that really so far the you know you can't draw they've too raced much out the blocks. yeah both raced out the blocks but they also play in a way where they're structurally both very sound i know we're going to get to inter as well they both look very structurally sound and they play each other after the international break so 
Well, a team that doesn't look structurally very sound at all at the moment is is Jose Mourinho's Roma. They've had a terrible start to the season. They've got one point in three games. Um, And we'll, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail of the game itself. But I think the big question right now is, is this another case of third season syndrome for Mourinho? Is this the beginning of the end for Mourinho? Are we starting to see the first signs of of that, you know, Mourinho meltdown that we've seen so many times before. We've seen it at Chelsea, uh, both spells at Chelsea. We saw it at Manchester United. We saw it at Real Madrid. You know, that in his third season, it's either he falls out with players, the press, the club, and or there are bad results. Um, you know, that has been the common theme throughout most of his most of his uh, career. You know, that the manager, the, the famous quote from, from the... The, the, the legendary Benfica coach, Bella Gutman from the 60s, the third season is fatal. A coach was very similar to, to, uh, to, to, to Mourinho and that he always seemed to leave in, the, in his third season or things used to fall apart in his third season. This has been Mourinho throughout his career, really. The third season, things have started to go wrong or he's lost his job. Are we at that situation now with, with, with not necessarily at the end of that situation, but are we at the beginning of the end? I'm not, I'm, 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 I think it's too premature to say that. And I'll tell you why. Because Romelu Lukaku, when he came on, he gave Roma a balance and clarity and structure that I don't think Roma had uh, before that. And I think it's unfair a little bit, given where Roma have been and how quickly he came and, and, and the problems they've had. To, to, I think let's wait. But yes, he is on an expiring contract. Yes, Antonio Conte is available. Um, Romelu Lukaku is there. Paolo Dybala is there. Um, Spinazzola, wing-backs are there. I mean, they, this does... Antonio Conte would be able to, to work at this Roma. Um, so I think we should... So, you know, that, that is something to stick a pin in and think of in the background. But I don't think we're quite there at the Mourinho meltdown stage that we saw, I think, really the worst case of at Chelsea. Um, and, 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 of course, Manchester United famously. Um, but I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet. But look, this is what happens if you don't give Mourinho, to use an Italian phrase, a project to marry, and his contract is an expi- he's on an ex- expiring contract. Oh, well, this is what happens. He has an ego as well. And I mean, there are reports that he went berserk at his players at yeah. full time in the changing rooms, and and that, but for the first time, some players stood up to him and, and, and actually criticised him yeah, for, the for his tactics. tactics. And then and then he refused to to speak to the press after the game after the game too. And we know already that, you know, his blood has been boiling for a while because of the suspension at the start of the season. Um, he felt that Roma are treated differently to other clubs, both in Italy and in and in Europe. The, he quit obviously the UEFA role. You have got the FFD um, situation and you've got also obviously this ridiculous situation with the transfer market where Basically, Roma couldn't spend a single penny of some of the basically the whole transfer. Which is not Roma's fault. And I think Mourinho needs to understand that. This is not Roma's fault. Roma have a settlement agreement they have to respect and they had to turn a profit. There's nothing they can do. Um, and I, I still think that given those parameters, they did, they had the best Mercato. I gave them an a, a eight and an eight and a half. If you take everything into consideration, I saw some people online understand how we could do that. And it's like, well, it, we look at the whole picture. Uh, it's not just, you know, any idiot with barely opposable thumbs and sentient 
mind can sit there and say player A in, player B out, this is the grade. No. If you have to analyze the entire situation, you have to understand the situation. And 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 to me, I think more you know, you need to give this a little bit more time. I think the players that they brought in are really ex- exciting players. I think they suit the system. I think Romelu Lukaku and Dybala and Pellegrini are going to have lots and lots and lots of fun together. Uh, after the international break, starting after the international break. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think we have to look, let's all wait for Lukaku and Dybala to come back and let's mm. see how Roma start playing when when those two together, because those two are going to score a lot of goals. They're going to be a, a <laughs> yeah. great little link up. And in fact, we saw Lukaku. I thought, you know what? I thought Lukaku, even though he's probably about 30% fit, I thought he was fantastic when he came on. I, I really did. He held I everything, everything stuck to him. He held everything up, even hopeless long balls, brought others into play. He had a shot that just went over. Um, he totally changed the game. I mean, obviously yeah. the red card did as well, but he, he, Roma started, you know, started causing a bit of trouble when he, when he came on. So you put Dybala in there as well, uh, Awa. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, tactically though, I think, you know, if it's true about them, them criticising Mourinho for his, his tactics, I think, Tactically, we saw a difference between, and this is something I speak about a lot on this pod, we saw a difference between a modern interpretation of football of Pioli with the kind of the high press, the intensity, the inverted fullbacks, the flexible tactics against a, a more outdated, rigid tactics where everybody stays in their position, you know, which is Mourinho football. Uh, and this is, kind of, this is why I said back in 2016, 2015 actually, when he lost his job at Chelsea the second time, I said that Mourinho back then, I said Mourinho at the top level is that's it for him at the top level in terms of a top club. Mm. Uh, and, you know, everything that we've seen since then has shown that to be the case. And I think that, you know, we still see that. He can still, you know, we're not saying, I'm not saying he's, he hasn't got a role. This isn't still a place for him in football at a certain level. You know, he's won, he got to two, he's got to two finals in a row. But that very, very top level, you know, we saw the difference in this game. And I, and I think that that, I think that that is an issue. And what I also think is an issue for Roma, a big, big issue, is we can talk about, yes, when Lukaku and Dybala come back, they're going to be great. But are they going to be, how many games are they going to play together? Because this is a huge problem with Roma. They've got too many injury-prone players. And some of this is down to yeah. the club. We know Roma yeah. have got a long record of, of injury issues. But some of this is just down to actually the players that they have signed are injury-prone players. Yeah. Now, anybody can look at Dybala, our and Renato Sanchez's injury records in the last three to four years. Just go and look it up yourself. Google it. It speaks for itself. These are incredibly injury-prone players. Now, Dybala's injured at the moment. Awar went off injured in this game. Sanchez was, was, uh, missed the game through injury. I mean, this is a huge problem for Roma. We can sit there and say, oh, they've had a fantastic market. When they get everyone back, they're going to be fantastic. But... Are they How often are they going to have them going to be back? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's a very valid point. I think that's a very, very valid point, um, and I think it's we shouldn't, you know, uh, underestimate that uh, because the quality that those injured players have are, you know, DiBala, Awa, Sanchez, that, <laughs> and to a certain extent Romelu Lukaku now too. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's 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 a good point. It's a really good point. The other, the, but the other thing I want to mention again is we, we already spoke about this on the pod last uh, last week as well is Rui Patish, Patricio, the goalkeeper. and He's Mike so Sanchez. bad. I want to talk about that penalty situation. What is he doing? There's no doubt in my mind that, you know, th- 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 there was an exaggeration, but his foot has no 
no business being up there. What is he doing? Yeah. It's just, like I said, he just makes so many mistakes. He makes so many mistakes, unforced errors. And, and that is so stupid. Why? why? I yeah. don't get it. I don't no, get this it. This is it. He's costing Roma so many goals. He's costing them so many goals. Um, he's cost them the first goal in this game. He cost them the first goal in the in the game before. I mean, you know, when the game's nil nil, these got these, these. This makes the difference in matches. Uh, and this is this was the one biggest failure from the transfer market that he didn't replace. They need to the replace team. this man. They need to replace him as soon as possible. To because give I, Jews, I, he made one fantastic save. He did, but he did. But by then, he'd already put them. They're already a goal behind. By then, no, 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 you know, and also. The Roma defence has been a disaster this season. Really has been. They've conceded six goals already in three games. And I have to say, um, it doesn't help when you've got Paredes protecting the defence. We're going to talk about Fiorentina afterwards as well, because I think this is a problem for Fiorentina. But when, you're, when your regista is so weak defensively, it really does put pressure on your, on your defence. Uh, and I think this is a problem. This is a problem parade with Paredes throughout his career. And um, yeah, I think, again, we saw it in this game. No, it's silly. It's silly. I just don't... That, they've, they've strengthened in attack in midfield. I think they did the right thing getting rid of Roger Ibanez. And if you want you know, new data I, as to why that is, then please go and check out the Roger Ibanez highlights in Saudi Arabia. And once your eyes stop bleeding, um, then then you'll understand, you know, reflect on why I cannot stand that man. They need to, they need to, they need to, you know, they, they, we have to wait and see what Indica can do, but um, they need to, they need to sign defenders. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's as simple yeah, as that. Absolutely. So let's move on to Napoli against Lazio then on Saturday evening. And... Lazio win again in Naples for the second time this calendar year. Maurizio Sarri is really becoming a bit of a bogeyman for his, uh, for his hometown former team. Um, let's first of all, let's talk about this from the, from the Lazio point of view and then we, and then we can talk about Napoli. Um, I thought that the first half Napoli controlled it without creating chance after chance. Um, they dominated the, you know, the play, the territory, the possession. Um, but then Sarri really worked out what was going wrong. He made some tweaks, some tactical tweaks. He, I think he targeted the half spaces uh, around the fullbacks and, and he really outcoached Rudy Garcia in the second half. Rudy Garcia, we'll talk about in a minute, just had no answer for him. I thought Lazio were brilliant second half. They, 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 they had two goals disallowed, very, very narrow decisions. Uh, and they, in, in the end, they were, for me, they were, they were, they were deserved winners uh, in the end. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree fully with that. Uh, especially given how the first half looked, it you know, it, based on the balance of play, it was unfair that Lazio took the lead, even though the goal was. We're going to talk about Luis Alberto because he is a genius when he's like this. When he's in this mood, he is just unplayable. But yes, the goal did go against. The, you know, if you look at the balance of play, I thought. Napoli were much, much better. Svica Kvaratskhelia looked outstanding, was beating his man. He was looking like the the Svica we fell in love with, or I fell in love with last summer, last season, in the beginning of last season. Ossiman was just a menace. Uh, their midfield was really good. Zielinski, I thought, was outstanding. Anguissa was just this spider in the web. And I really liked your Vieira comparisons because when he's like that, he really is a vintage Vieira kind of midfielder, isn't he? Um, but 
then, like you said, Maurizio Sarri just showed why he's such a better tactician than Rudy Garcia. Um, And he adapted and he adjusted. And then we saw in the second half how everything where Lazio were, you know, I got to give some credit to Providel because in the first half he kept them in the game, made outstanding saves, but their defense was so-and-so. But in the second half, Marusic, Romagnoli, they they were outstanding. And they really managed to neutralize um, everything that Napoli and Rudy Garcia threw at them. Mm. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I thought Philippe Anderson was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He made both Lazio goals. Mm. He destroyed Oliveira, destroyed him. Uh, and then Luis Alberto, I mean, I love this guy. I, lo- I love watching him. Um, I mean, so I what, this is Simon Inzaghi's Frankenstein monster. What has he done to him? Like when he took over Lazio, Luis Alberto was nobody, was a nobody. You know, he'd failed, you know, Liverpool player, essentially. That's what he was mostly known as. And then he turned him into this Metzala. And I know that it's become like Christmas. Every summer he fights with Lazio. And then once he stays, and then he ends up being brilliant. <laughs> it's just, it's, it literally is. It just follows this pattern. That first goal and, and, every, and the, everything he does in midfield in the second half was just... Oh my God! Football candy, as we say in Sweden. I know you like that, but that's fo- he. He is. He embodied football candy on on Saturday night. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I love watching him. He's an artist. He's an artist. He's so elegant. Um, just the way that he, just the way that he controls the ball, he moves with the ball. His vision, his guile, his little deft touches, his little through passes that just the way that he sees the game. And I, I just love watching him. And, and I mean, if I had to pick a team, he wouldn't get in my team because unfortunately he's not a modern player. And, that, and, and if he was around in the 1980s, this guy would be one of the best players in the world. Unfortunately, he's born in an era where, you know, he's in the wrong era. He's like a Rick Elmer, you know, kind of player in this era. Um, and that's why he's playing for Palacio and he's not playing for Real Madrid or... Or, or Liverpool, or, or you know, one of the be, one of the, the the elite teams in world football. Um, that's the reason. And even Sarri didn't really fancy him because he, he you know, Sarri doesn't, you know, has a, his his view of football is a, is a where there's no, you know, every player has to, to to contribute to the team. And he's a, you know, he's an individual, uh, Luis Alberto. Um, but he's a, but what an individual! And you know, amazing backfield goal for the first goal, and then. That assist dummy for the Kamada goal as well. I mean, he's a he just he's just the kind of player that you just have to enjoy because um, we don't have many of these players around anymore, and they're, they're, those these players have disappeared from mm. the game pretty much. So it's beautiful to see to still see these players. Uh, Kamada, great goal, great finish, lethal left-footed finish. Uh, I read goal. I read somewhere I can't rem- I can't. I should. I looked everywhere for it, but I can't remember where I saw the stat. Where I saw somewhere that in the last five years, in all the top five leagues, he's the third most prolific goal-scoring midfielder. Come it's possible. On it's possible. And he's 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 a he's a yeah. He's he scores a lot of goals, and you can see that yeah. from his right foot, left foot. You know that was lethal. That was that was like a like an arrow into the bottom corner. 
That was. And he gets into the positions as well. He, he gets into the right positions. And this is why I had him as my breakout player, because I think despite all of that, he's not very well known. And I love that finish, that that, uh, that entire move. Like you said, Felipe Anderson, Luis Alberto jumping over the ball, and Kamada with that finish. I think that we're going to see quite a bit of that. But before we continue about that and talk about Genduzi, who was I thought had a fantastic uh, substitute as a substitute, what a substitution, uh, what a, it's coming on. Can we talk about Ciro Immobile now? Because I honestly think that Lazio will fly once he's not on the pitch. Yeah, you saw. I wanted I wanted to talk about Immobile on Thursday because we're going to do okay. Let's Friday. talk about on Thursday. Let's fine, fine. Friday, but with the international, because I, I feel yeah. he has no business okay. being being in the international team, and I think this game proved it as well. So yeah, let's talk about him on Friday. Yeah, but, but for me, for me, it's I more. Yeah, we can do that on Friday. But I just for me, it's more of a the Sari system. It's it's not even about you know shitting on Immobile because I don't shit on him at all. I respect him immensely. I just don't think in this system he has a role to play. I really, really don't. And I think he slows Lazio down. I think he, he, you saw that so many times, the movements that he just doesn't get and can't do in this system. And I think that this is what I meant when I said last week as well, that they should have sold him in the summer. I really think they should have sold him in the summer. Hmm. I think so too, for a 33-year-old. Absolutely. Mm. Um but, but yeah, no, Guendouzi had a, had the most unluckiest start to a debut I've ever seen, ever. <laughs> Got an assist within a couple of minutes for Sakani, which was disallowed for a very, 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 very tight decision. And then a few minutes, literally like three minutes later, he then scored his own goal with a curler. But that was also ruled offside in the build-up against Sakani again. Um, so well, that's a, exactly it. It's Sakani for me who who cost Guendouzi more than anything. I, I mean, both decisions are correct. It's just uh, Zakanyi. This is why I don't rate Zakanyi as highly as many Lazio fans do, and I don't. Well, you know, it's a bit harsh on him. I mean, no, yeah. I don't. This, this, no, he doesn't have. This yeah, is the difference. A bit harsh on him. The, no, I'm not saying. He's, no, I'll tell you why I'm using that as proof because the top players can read a situation better, and he's not a top player. He's a very good player, but he's not one of the top players. A top player knows how to time and can read. His read of the game is where I've always had my question marks. And I think he showed that fully in this game. Yeah, I think he's a good player, but he's not... He's not. I didn't say he was a good player. I didn't say he was that. crap. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm <laughs> just saying. I, don't, I, think, I think it's a bit unfair to use the, these two offsides mm. as proof. Of him not well, I think it. it's just... It's not proof. It's, it's, it's a long time I've felt this, and, and I've seen that it's in I this game. I, think... I just wouldn't use these offsides as, as, mm. as evidence. I but think it's... Anyway, Sari, just final on Sari... He, he, he likes sticking his middle finger up, like Jerry Mancini, middle finger up. At yeah, our patron. <laughs> <laughs> well, think, he did, he Jerry did Mancini, say... Jerry Mancini is probably the only person that can, can uh, rival Maurizio Sarri for use of the middle finger because he, <laughs> he does it at least about two or three times a season. He did it again before this game at the airport when they arrived in, in Naples. Well, he did He did also clarify. Lazio released a statement, we should say that, and, and this quote reads, Images on social media show my gesture aimed towards someone who insulted me. It was certainly not aimed at someone shouting Forza Napoli, because that's what <laughs> was force first reported. So we have to say that. And that's what yeah. that's, the, that's the statement that Sarri... Sari made uh, via Lazio. It still makes me laugh that this guy managed Juventus the way that he is because it's just like the most un-Juventus manager ever in terms of the way mm. he 
holds himself, you know. Like, no, he's, he's not. Middle finger. Held his no, middle finger. He loves yeah. his middle finger. And the it's same goes for the Italy national team as well. It's like I can never see him managing the Italy national team for this for this reason. No, he's too rough. He's too yeah. rough. He, he doesn't, yeah, you can't do that. Can't yeah, do that. brilliant. Um, but let's talk about Napoli then. And, and I mean, the big question now really is, I'm always, I, it's only three games and you might say um, we're jumping the gun a bit too early mm-hmm. here, but I have to say, maybe when you when you go looking for, for a problem, sometimes yeah. you find it. You see so it, maybe yeah. You see it. Confirmation so maybe, bias. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah, exactly. So maybe there is a case of that because we're, we're all honest here. We, we all thought the appointment of Rudy I don't rate was, him. was absolute madness and maybe mm-hmm. we're out looking here for things. But I have to say, I'm already seeing things that, are, that I'm not liking already. From from Same. what was already a, a was already a perfect machine, and it, and it, I'm already seeing things starting to look like they're starting to go wrong. So the question is, are Napoli already starting to miss Spalletti and, and by extension Kim Kim Min Jae? Oh, Kim Min Jae, absolutely. Um, Juan Jesus is not is no <laughs> is no replacement. How is he still for, playing? How can I don't. Why are they like, playing this guy? This is he's a coach killer. I call players like that a coach killers. The ones that get numerous coaches that, that somehow coaches play them and then they end up getting sacked because of this guy and his errors. I don't know how many coaches this man has on his... I, I think between him, I think him, uh, Gagliardini is another coach killer. Like Players like that who, for some reason, coaches like him and play them and they end up costing them their jobs. And this guy is just, he just does this over and over and over again. Um, He has so, you know, you know that prim face terminology in terms of he's got an error in him. Well, he's a walking error. (laughs) Like, it's just, um, yeah, no, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. No, I don't get it. Um, And you have to ask the question. Where is Paul Pogba? No, I have to ask the question, why isn't Natan playing? <laughs> Where's Paul Pogba in all of this? Whenever somebody says, you have to ask the question, the first thing you Yeah, say, I know. No, we can, no, no it, it literally is that. I, did, I forgot that for a second. And then when you said it, I remember, that's brilliant. That is literally, you have to ask yourself, where's Paul Pogba in all of this? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Paul Pogba after, don't you worry. It's the latest century. Um, but why is it? You do God have bless Graham where is, where is Nathan in all of this? Why are they Yes, where is Nathan in all of this? And where is Leo Ostigord in all of this? Um, and where is Aurelio De Laurentiis in all of this? Because to answer your second question, yes, Napoli do miss, miss Paletti for sure, don't they? I mean, it's... Yeah, no I mean, I have to say, in this game, um, I already saw it a little bit in the Frosinone game, but the Napoli departments don't look so tight together as they did under Spalletti. And this has been something that all the great system coaches always preach this from Guardiola, Arrigo Sacchi. He said he does it. I mean, he, he's, I've interviewed Sacchi twice and he went on about it both times unprompted to me when I interviewed him about the importance of having your defence and your midfield and your attack all in close proximity to each other, you know, no more than, you know, five metres between each, each department, like really in a tight space. And there was just such gaping gaps between the departments and you saw that in the second half especially um on the counter attack that the spaces uh between between the lines 
and the half spaces, which I think that Sarri really, really attacked those half spaces in the, in the, the, the wingers, Felipe Anderson especially. Um, and they had a field day. And so I think that's one thing that, we, that we've noticed. Um, and Garcia just didn't seem to have any answer. We Everybody that was watching that game in the second half could see that Sarri had made changes, that Lazio were getting a tactical stronghold on the game, that there was clear tactical weaknesses in this in this Napoli team in terms of the, 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 the spaces that were opening up and that Rudy Garcia had to make changes. He had to do, even if it wasn't personnel, I mean, I thought Anguiso looked exhausted by the hour mark. He needed to come off. He stayed on for the whole game. Um, but Garcia didn't have any answers. He didn't make any changes. Changes he did make were too late. Um, he was outcoached by Surrey in, in, in the second half. And that is part of being a top manager is that, you have to make changes during the game. You have to see, I mean, there was, uh, you won't like me using this example, but um, the Newcastle versus um, Brighton, <laughs> Brighton versus Newcastle game. The first 10 minutes, um, Newcastle were, 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 were the, started the much better team. De Zerbi was going berserk on the touchline. Mm. He was yeah. speaking to his coaches. He was, in, he was berating his players telling them, you come here, you pull here, you move back. You... And then he, they worked it out. They made a few tweaks. They absolutely dominated the rest of the first half, well, dominated the rest of the game, and they, they won easily. Now, that's part of being a coach. You have to make little tweaks here and there. And it just seemed like Garcia was just passive. He just watched. He was just watching there on the sideline while things were going wrong, and he wasn't making any changes. And I guess this that's one of many concerns I have with, with uh, Garcia. But this was... Definitely apparent. I've got absolutely nothing to add to that, especially the Deserbi example is brilliant because I was actually, I've got it in my notes here. The fact that that's the difference between a modern coach in today's game. It is that within 10 minutes you can make those changes, that you can, you have those answers. It's not just everything is prepared. Do Mm. you know what I mean? Like you can, you can change it on the spot. And you can get the players to react and understand because you will have communicated them, prepared them to understand. Do, do you know what yeah. I mean? Without and the same not goes the other time, side with Sarri. But the yeah. alternative no, is Sarri. That's Sarri true. That's saw true. what was going wrong and he made the changes. And, yeah. and that yeah. is down to Garcia to counter that. And he did it counter. But he can't. He just doesn't have... He's never been able to do that. Um, he's just not that guy. He's never been that guy. And, and this is one of the reasons, again, where... Rudy Garcia, I, I don't think Napoli will win the Serie A because of it. I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with the players. I just don't think the coach is good enough. And I think this is such a tactical league where this, where coaches' deficiencies are ruthless, ruthlessly exposed. And Rudy Garcia has lots of deficiencies and they're reigning champions. So already you're going to have mm-hmm. players, already you're going to have teams on their toes when they play them. Yeah, if there is one weakness though in, with the players, um, definitely, as we said, the centre-back is a, is a concern. But the left back, uh, if Oliveira is going to be the starter, he's been horrific this season so far. Oliveira, he is a clear weak link for Napoli. He was caught out on the goal. He was got Anderson destroyed him. He's positionally he gets caught out positionally a lot. One on one, he's not very good. And and then imagine he's got Juan Jesus next to him as well. Well, yeah, it's not the strongest <laughs> left hand side in, in the world. So. This gives me PTSD. To remember when he and Nagatomo to Inter in a back three, him to the left and Nagatomo the left <laughs> wing back. Like it's just it, it was it was like it, it felt like like watching a cartoon of like the you know the what are the curly, La- curly Larry and Mo? What do they call like the Three Stooges? Like it, it literally, it's just 
And then you added, uh, what's his name, Kuzmanovic to that, and it was just brilliant. Um, luckily, Napoli have amazing quality in midfield and don't have to worry about that. But Yeah. Just one yeah. comment on Kvarat Skadia. Yeah. Because I've seen him getting hammered online. Um, and Yawn. there's no doubt he's on a terrible run. Um, but I just feel like it's unfair. I think this is the wrong moment to, to pick on him. Um, I, I thought, like you, I thought he was excellent first half. I thought he was Napoli's most dangerous player in the first half. He went close three times. He, he was cutting in um, a lot, but he was also roaming around. Um, he, he, you know, he, he, he's not fully fit. He's not fully fit. We know that. Um, and he faded in the second half. The, the second half, he, he wasn't good in the first half. But I think that was the second half, but that none of the Napoli players were, and, and he's not fit. He's not fully fit. Um, I agree that Kvara needs to adjust. You know, he was found out a bit at the end of last season. He became predictable at the end of last season with the way that he cut inside. And the fact that he had zero goals and zero assists in the last 16 games of, 16 games of last season for club and country since March, uh, that proves it. You know, that's not by chance. Um, but I think that this is the wrong time to, to, you know, let's give him a few more games because I actually thought this was a step forward for him um, Same. In, in this game. Same. Same. Nothing more to add to that. I would say one other thing, though. Like, the contract situation might be affecting him. I mean, this is again down to De Laurentiis. De Laurentiis. This is again De Laurentiis. Yeah, why is he so disrespectful for people that do great things for him? I mean, Claudette Scalia has paid 1 million euros a year. I mean, that's an insult. He's one of the best players in Serie A, one of the most wanted players in Europe. He's just been a crucial part of them winning their first Scudetto in 33 years. Well, this is this is the negative side of Aurelio De Laurentiis, isn't it? I mean, we've always praised him correctly so for building things, but now that he's at the top, maintaining that's a situation he's never been in, and I think he's making new mistakes. I've never seen him behave like this, Um, and it is costing Napoli, and I hope that it doesn't cost him too much because a Napoli without Osimhen and Quara. I don't even want to think about that. Well, I read a report that Kvara's agent recently came to Naples, like in the last week or so, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to meet just, De Laurentiis. And De just Laurentiis like Osimhen's agent was, as, as our good friend Vincenzo Credendino from Calcio Napoli 24 reported today, actually, that uh, they were, um, that um, Napoli uh, were on, uh, that his agent was in Naples and his agent uh, w- didn't meet with with uh, with De Laurentiis and although he was there and there are still details that need to be ironed out and so on and so forth and and uh, yeah it's it's not it's not good it's not looking good talking of of great attackers Lautaro Martinez what a start to the season he has had five goals in his first three games two goals against Fiorentina absolutely flawless performance from Inter they win 4-0 they absolutely destroyed Fiorentina and, and even you Nima can't have any complaints about this performance can you? They had an XG of over 5 it it was I can't remember the last time I've seen Inter have an XG over 5 they they could have won 7-8-0 there's really nothing to complain Inter look the only thing is the only negative if I'm going to have to be critical here is it's I'm a little bit scared that this is too soon, that they're hitting this form too soon, too early on in the season, because they are on fire. They completely dismantled Fiorentina. 
Fiorentina had nothing. And I don't think it would have mattered who they would have played. The way they pressed, the positional shift, you're talking about inverting. Um, you, the way that, that for that for that, that Turam goal, the way that they win the ball high up the pitch and no, it's just the, 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 the movement between the, the changes between the midfield and the strikers. Um, I, it's, it's just outstanding. It's, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, you talk about, you mentioned third season blues. Well, this is Inzaghi's third season and Inter have never started any better. They look balanced. They look composed. They look in control. Lautaro Martinez has never been better. And he, he said so himself um, after, after the, the game. Ah, look, if he's if Inter are going to win the Scudetto, he needs to be this good. I said he needs to score 25 goals in, in the league alone minimum. Well, he scored five and three already, as you mentioned. <laughs> I mean, what else can we say? No, he was fantastic. He's becoming the, the total footballer now, the total striker. And, you know, you're starting to look around and think, are there any weaknesses uh, in his game? Maybe that little bit of lack of haste, but he's looking so sharp. Uh, the way that he got in front of his man for the second goal... Um, I mean, he's he's looking great in the box. He's looking like a natural penalty box uh, forward as well now. Not just his great work outside the area in, in terms of as a support striker or or nine and a half, as, as you some people might call him. He, he's now looking like a great number nine as well. Uh, and, you know, Lautaro and Taram, they already seem to have sprung up this, this great partnership. Everyone used to speak about the Lula partnership. And now we're talking about the the, the two, Tula, Tula, however you want to you want to say it. I mean, yeah, the Tula. Yeah, Tula. I mean, I think they look they look great. They 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 got a great understanding already. Taram has had a great start with Inter. He scored his first goal. He won a penalty as well. I mean, missed a few chances. We know he's not the most clinical. If we want to be critical of him, but in terms of his overall game, the way that he gets, I thought he was outstanding. The way he holds uh, it up, he links it up, he rounds the channels, he stretches the defence, he presses and wins the ball back. I mean, you know, as a team, you know, helping Inter be better as a team, um, he's been great to Ram so far. And and I think that, I mean, Inter's, the whole of Inter, everybody, there's, there was all, everybody was great. Great performances everywhere. Di Marco, again, he's just a, He's just a left foot machine. I'm now wondering whether he actually has the best left foot in football after Messi. I don't think there's anybody after, other than Messi. Is there a better left foot in football than DiMarco? No, for, for set pieces and crosses, you, you're, you're starting to ask that question, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but to, this is why I keep saying that Turam was Jekyll's replacement. Um, he's filling that role. Everything that Jekyll had the class and quality and understanding and intelligence to do, but his body couldn't do quickly. Well, Tiram is doing that now, um, oh. and and Lautaro is loving it. But also, Inter deeper; they're much more balanced. Um, I think. Just remember that Pavard hasn't even started yet. So Fiorentina, though, as good as Inter were, Fiorentina were were terrible. And I, and I said this last week in the pod that Fiorentina, I'm not convinced by them this season. They're not impressing me. And I watched them both their games against Rapid Vienna in the Conference League playoffs, and they weren't good. They were very vulnerable in that tie. They only just went through against a team that they should really be beaten easily with a 90th minute goal in the, in the second leg, a penalty. And that took them through. They were behind for a long time in that tie. Um, so that already, I think, showed that, uh, that, they, that there, there are some issues there. Uh, of course, it's still early. We'll see what the new signings can do. I mean, I think Arthur Mello has been pretty good so far, but he needs the right players around him. We've seen 
how easy it is to counter through this Fiorentina. And I think you've got Arthur Mello and um, the new sign-in from from uh, Sassuolo. Um, who's Maxim named, Lopez. Maxim Max- Lopez. I, I think you've got those two as your, your centre midfielders, then you know, you're going to be vulnerable on the counter. Um, and the other signings haven't really shot out of the blocks. Beltran hasn't looked that good so far. It's still early days. Unzola, you know, as great as he was at Spezia, there's always still going to be question marks whether he can make that step up to a European level team as a starter, that is. Um, and Amrabat, of course, is such a huge loss in midfield, losing him to Man United. Castrovilli seems to have been frozen out. The midfield seems to be weaker. And is the attack any stronger with Beltran and Nunzala over Cabral and, and Jovic? And, uh, you know, time will tell. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm not that, yeah, I'm not blown away by this Fiorentina. And I'm I'm thinking right now of a European place or even a top eight place is, is not a guarantee this season. I, I see I see Torino and Bologna both potentially challenging this season. I think you're right. I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think you're absolutely everything you just said. And it's Vincenzo Italiano. Um he he just does defending is optional with this man. And it's not that, and the reason I say that is because it they just look clueless defensively. Um and they, they don't look vulnerable, they look hollow. Vulnerable would be a step up. They look absolutely hollow. And with Castrovilli's contract situation, and he seems to be frozen out, he's not signing a new contract. I don't know, man. This is not a good idea. Not a good idea. And I think Enzola and Beltran, I think Beltran could deliver. But Enzola, I mean, look, yes, he did well at Spezia. But if you're charging for a... I'm not entirely sure that he's a starter for a team that wants to break into the top six, top seven. I I just don't see that. That's it, Uh, isn't it? Well, that's the question is, because the attack was the big issue last season. Uh, and, and I have to say, my biggest criticism of an Italiano is not the defending. It's the fact that we're in 2023 and he's still playing on the, uh, as, a, as his left uh, attacker, Christian Kwame, as a left attacker, a guy that scores on average about three <laughs> to four goals. Can I just, can I reveal, <laughs> can I reveal yeah. to the listeners your message? I just, out of the blue, I get this angry message from, from Carlo about Kwame, just randomly, just, why is he playing for Fiorentina? Just randomly. Christian Cuomo's hatred me. from Carlo. Randomly. It does, it triggers me. It, it triggers, triggers you, me. and it should, because he's not a Serie A player. He's not he even, he's, we're he's talking to Serie B He's player. one of my trigger players, along with Declan Rice being the best midfielder in the world, and, and Weston McKenney, just anything <laughs> yeah. about Mr. McKenney. Like, those are my triggers, my three trigger players. <laughs> well, everything about Allegri triggers you to the point beyond and Allegri logic. As well, yeah, of course. Yeah. How, can I, how can I forget him? That brings us on nicely. Let's talk about Juventus and, and Allegri. So Juventus went 2-0 at Empoli. Um, they, they won. Uh, they, they created a lot. They conceded virtually nothing. Uh, they weren't clinical, but you know those were the, those were the hard numbers. Uh, the, the thing is, you, you can't read much into beating this Empoli team. This Empoli they're not team very are, good. This Empoli team are terrible. They are, they're the worst team in the league. I, I'm yeah. sure of that now. Um, so what I want to do here is I want to look at the bigger picture here with Juventus because, because there isn't, you, can't, you can't look into this, this emphatic win very much. Um, my frustration from this game is I look at Allegri's selection choices and he dropped Cambiasso and played Kostic and McKennie as the wing backs. He made four changes from that that Bologna game, which which Juventus played badly against Bologna, and they didn't deserve to win that game. Um, 
But I don't like it that, you know, after the first game against Udinese, the first half against Udinese in the first game, we were talking about this, this new Juventus, this Juventus that were trying to dominate possession, that were playing high up the pitch, that were more attacking, more inventive, more exciting. Um, trying to play that kind of way. It was a new Juventus that we were seeing, a new Allegri, some were saying, although I wasn't saying it. Um, and how, you know, after your first sign of trouble, the Bologna game, Allegri, you know, he reverts. I'm not going to say completely to type because Juventus were still, they're still playing definitely with a higher line and, and they're still pushing their wing backs higher up than they ever did last season, even in this game. So I'm not going to say he's reverted completely to type, but he was, if you look at the, the team that he put out, you know, dropping Cambiasso, I don't understand that at all. And playing, even though Kostic played well, but just, I'm just thinking of the bigger picture here. The oh, idea that Cambiasso has one half disappointing game he's dropped. Juventus nah, have I don't won. think it's like Juventus that. have one half disappointing game and have one disappointing game and Juventus returned to a kind of a rigid and straight-lined way of playing. You know, the ga this game against Empoli was was never going to be an issue because Empoli are terrible. Juventus were always going to win this game, whoever they play. But, you know, we've seen in the last two years that Juventus can't be successful playing like this type of football and playing with these players. See, you know? I, I disagree with that because I don't think that was the issue. The issue here for me, and this is something I wanted, I wanted to talk about, Dusan Vlaovic. I think maybe it's time for you and me to maybe say that is Dusan Vlaovic, was it false gold? Because he was atrocious. He false was gold. genuinely <laughs> atrocious. Like, no, false gold. Genuinely, I'm starting to think, was he false gold? Because the, I'm not talking about the penalty miss. I don't care about that. I'm talking about him regressing from match day one to an dreadful Empoli side in terms of what a number nine in the big club has to do. He can't, you see, you, you know, you said he turns like a World War One tank. Well, um, I would say he turns like a catapult from the Middle Ages. It's, I mean, a World <laughs> War One tank would be, would be a step upwards right now, given how he plays. Um, it's, it's dreadful. Um, and there were always question marks for whether or not he could do it, but and and turn into that kind of because again, if you're going to be a number nine in one of the big clubs, what, what do they all have in common? They can all play with their back against the goal. But Vlaovic is so far away from that. He, I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but I was expecting more. I liked him in the first first game. I liked what I saw in the second game, bits and pieces, but this was genuinely atrocious genuinely well, it's, it's not it's not yeah it's that is true but I, I actually thought the biggest concern from Vlaovic in this game is is his inability and this is part of it, his inability to link up with his teammates bring others into play but in particular his inability to link up with Chiesa I mean we're talking about how Lautaro and Turan immediately sprung this amazing partnership already they've got such a chemistry and understanding they're doing link ups one twos passing how do you goals. feel playing with a Federico Chiesa who's in this I know game? but this there was there, there's just no there was absolutely no link up between these two at all they just they didn't seem to be on the same wavelength at all um they couldn't combine with each other and they're playing against Empoli now if you're struggling to do that against Empoli then then you, then, then there's a, there's an issue there uh, and that's that, what that, I mean. And I, I don't blame concern. Chiesa. I blame that. I don't blame Allegri. I don't blame Chiesa. I blame that on Vlaovic. 
I genuinely blame that on Vlaovic. Well, because... that's, this is the thing here. I mean, maybe it's a case of maybe we overrated Vlaovic a bit. Maybe. I, I we, think we maybe, have to have maybe, that conversation did, now. But also it's a case of you've got to look at the manager. It's down to the manager. This this guy comes as an 80, 90 million player. He come from a player who was the second best scorer in all of Europe in 2020. Uh, before he, uh, sorry, 2020. When did he join Juventus? Uh, January 2022. Yeah, yeah. So the calendar year of 2021, he was the, the only. Was, who was it? Was it only Lewandowski that scored uh, more goals than him? He was the second best, second best scorer in the calendar year of 2021. He scored a ridiculous. He, he broke the record, the Serie A record um, for 60 year record for the number of goals, uh, Serie A goals in the calendar year. I mean, you know, that is, you know, you don't do that unless you, you, there's a, you've got a special quality. It's not just a, you know, not just a fluke. He did it two seasons for Fiorentina. He scored 21 goals in 40 games in 2021. And then he scored 20 in 24 uh, goals in all competitions to start the season. I and mean, you don't do that. I and mean, he was a monster. He was an absolute monster. I'm sorry, but you, know, you have to put this on Allegri. If you, you, you've seen it. It's not just Vlaovic. It's Allegri's inability to develop attacking players. We've seen it. Is you can you can't name one attacker that's that that's got any better. They've all regressed. Chiesa's regressed. Vlaovic has regressed. Locatelli as an offensive player has regressed. Massively. It's, it's the common theme of Allegri. So yes, of course, yeah, maybe, maybe that that we did overrate uh, Vlaovic, but it's in, unacceptable. This 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 level of not even being able to do the simple things. But this is what I mean. I don't blame Allegri for that. This is what, that's, that's exactly why I don't blame Allegri. This is on Vlaovic. He can't, I mean, Max Allegri can't be blamed for Dusan Vlaovic not being able to make a simple pass. I mean, it, it, we're literally talking about the ABCs of football here. But that's the level that he is failing at. And that's not on Allegri. That's on We Dusan saw at Fiorentina, we saw at Fiorentina what he could do. He well, you see, I'm not entirely. Yes, well, we saw Fiorentina was a player who he was a monster. Was a Fiorentina he was one of the he most wanted poacher. players in world football. Well, he wasn't he was a, poacher, a poacher, but he, scored, but he, was, he, he wasn't a poacher. He scored all kinds of goals. He scored yeah, goals from outside the area. He also, run the ball yeah, from outside exactly, the area. Exactly. Remember the goal he scored against Inter, where he attacking space, attacking yeah, space. I mean, that's my point. But the thing is, when you can't, that, that's the difference of a step up. You have to be able to play mm. with your teammates. He cannot do that. We're talking Empoli here. He got he got out. He he was misplacing passes sorry, against this is, this Empoli. Is, this is number one on Allegri. It's number one. If you can't mm, develop your attacking nah. play, it's down on the manager. The manager's nah, nah, nah. job is to develop. Can't make his chicken play. soup with chicken shit, mate. And so sometimes, now, and sometimes. This is, what I love about, this is what I love about Allegri that he's got actually got people thinking that Vlaovic is chicken shit when he's he's the second mm. best scorer in all of Europe. How can we get from the second best scorer of all of Europe? To this, it's on Allegri. There's the common denominator is Allegri with every single attacker. Mm. You know, no, I'm, I'm not. Listen, don't get me one. wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Vlaovic is chicken shit. I'm saying that when you're failing against Empoli after when you're clearly start the season well and you're going the other way and everyone else at Juve is actually Juve is actually looking pretty good. They cre- they creating chances. They're, they're, it's a new Juve, and you're the it's only not an e- one it's that's not failing. easy to play. In, it's not easy for an attacker to play under Allegri mm, or to play. In the- yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, that you, is you can't blame Allegri. You got to put it on on Vlaovic too, man. Like this is. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not absolved of any blame. I'm saying maybe perhaps we overrated him a little bit. Perhaps mm, he had some yeah. chinks in his his overall yeah. game. Perhaps that is true. But at the same time, it's totally unacceptable that. Let me make a proposition. I mean, let me make a proposition. What about this? That because I mean, 
the kind of player he is, the big players like him usually don't really peak until from 25, 26, 28 onwards, right? Maybe that the phenomenons like the Hollands don't need to do that. The Harry Kanes, they don't need to do that, right? These big, big strikers, because he's a big guy. Maybe Vlaovic just needs a bit more time. Maybe the fact that we saw him as this wonder kid, that's where the overrating part was. In terms of him being a great player and a huge talent, I don't think we overrated him at all. I don't think anyone did. But the wonder kid thing, where we were talking about potentially a world-class, you know, superstar Ballon d'Or striker at this age, I maybe he just needs more time. Yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he does. Yeah. Also, that these are key developmental years for a player. You, do, you, you, you don't develop during this stage. You lose that development at this stage. You know, it's not always easy to, to come back. Uh, you don't usually develop technically later on in your career. You develop technically, at a, you know, at a young age. So that is a, that is a concern. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I, I think now it's going to be difficult. If he's not improved by now under Allegri, it's hard to see him uh, hard to see him improving, especially what we've seen with the other attackers yeah. under Allegri. But but what I would say, just just to, just to finish up my, my earlier point, what, what frustrates me most is, you know, that, as I said, we, want, we, we were hoped that we saw this new Juventus and, and after the one side, first sign of difficulty, Allegri's returning to, to type in playing it safe with straight-line players, with a rigid rigid formation uh and and you know even you look at the repossession in this game it, had, it was a 50 percent 51 percent possession Juventus had in this game to 49 percent so already the possession game that, that the, the improved possession that we saw at the start has, has already gone down um you know which isn't a problem in itself but I'm just saying that you know if Juventus are committing to playing in a new way that we hoped and that we saw in the first game you commit to it. You don't, at the first sign of trouble, you, 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 know, you have a slip up in your second game and you revert to type because we've seen that what type gets you. Type, Juventus have the same team as they had last season with this revert to type. It can only get you results that are not going to be good enough. You know, Empoli's fine. Empoli are a terrible team, you know, and, and they, Juventus would have won this game plenty anyway. So, you know, that's my only frustration for this game. I hope that this isn't a sign that, Allegri is is returning to a more kind of you know cautious way of playing and you know the expansive you know the inverted fullback that we saw from Cambiasso um, you know that's that's been shelved because you know they had a slip up against Bologna um, so yeah that's my concern at the end of the day Juventus have seven points from nine that's not bad starts that's very season. good that's a good uh, start had an easy the season. start the season they played two of the worst teams in the league two teams that that you you would expect them to be. And they've drawn and played badly against the one good team they've played. So they've got Lazio next. That will give us a, a better indication of it's where... It's going to be a crazy, crazy game, isn't it? Sarri against Allegri. Like... Well, yeah, and it will give us a better indication of where Juventus are. And it will also give us a better indication of, of what uh, Allegri's mentality is. Is he going to be the new Juventus that we saw in the first? Or is it going to be the, 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 the revert to type which it wasn't total revert to type, as I said, um, but is it going to be more reverse into type? Um, that's going to be interesting to see. So we'll see where we are. But one thing is clear is that Milan and Inter are on a completely another level to Juventus. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's so clear. Uh, and also, um, um, we have to play praise Chiesa's, Chiesa's goal. I didn't think his performance was good up until probably the 
second part, second half. Uh, I thought he was very bad again as well. But it was a fantastic goal, uh, great finish. Um, again, I, 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 he, he clearly doesn't like the role. Um, but, you know, it's a fantastic goal. So hopefully he can build on that. McKenney, um overall wasn't bad, <laughs> but there was one moment on 11 minutes. Everything out. Honestly, I mean, you talk, you were talking about trigger triggers. Um, it was a simple pass that came to him. He miscontrolled it and then fell backwards onto his back. I mean, if anything sums up the Juventus or the McKenney of the last two and a half years, it's that, it's that moment. Uh, and final point, Pogba as well. Um, it, it seems that he isn't a, it isn't uh they've had the test and it isn't anything uh, concerning the injury that he got in the game. But um it was Again, nice to another see injury. Another well that's injury. it. It seems like it isn't serious, but it, it shows the fragility. But it's still another injury, just like Stefano Sensi. It's not serious, but it's another injury. I mean Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Juventus can't rely on him this, this season. It's 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 like the Rome what we discussed with Roma, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't mm. matter who the players are, if they can't play then uh, they're not of much use to you. No, um, but Empoli are, Empoli are definitely going down. I think, yeah. there's, I, I think that's Dreadful. clear. Zero Dreadful. goals, zero points. I wonder if, if our good friend Zanetti is the first one to get sacked. Out He's going to be the coaches. first to go. Yeah. He will be the first to go because um, Empoli have got Roma and Internet. So they're going to mm. probably get nothing from that. And that's going to be mm. five defeats and five. I, I think he'll be gone. I think he'll be the first coach to go. So too. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. Um, just a very, very quick, quick message on Atalanta. Schiamacca is back. And they beat one to three nil. Two really, really nice goals from from Schimaka. and um, uh, Nim is laughing because I called him Schimaka. Uh, <laughs> I love your Neapolitan roots showing every time you mention this kid's name. Uh, but he is—he wasn't called up for the Italy national team. That might which be annoys me. It's annoying me. That really, really annoys me um, because I—I I don't know how many years I'm on this year. I've said on this pod, I've said he is the future of Italian football. He's the number nine to lead Italy. He showed against. He started. He started showing what he can do and who he is. Those two goals were a number nine goals. Like, did you see his link-up play? Did you see how he holds up the ball? Do you see how he puts others in play? Do you see how he can score with both feet? Do, I mean, it, this this is what you want from your number nine. And uh, yeah, Arnautovic. That's all I'm going to say because it pisses me off. I know, I know, before people start tweeting at me, you know, it was either Pavard uh, or Skamaka. I think they needed, without a doubt, they needed Pavard way more than they need Skamaka. But it still annoys me because he's going to go for big money to either Juve and he's not going to end up at Inter. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And it yeah. Okay, right. The other weekend fixtures, Sassuolo 3, Verona 1. Berardi's back with, with two goals. Udinese. Yeah. Udinese, Udinese nil, Frosinone nil. Bologna 2, Cagliari 1. Fabian scoring a, a last-minute winner for Bologna. Torino, we're also getting a, a very late goal. 95th-minute winner from Radonjic. They win 1-0. And Lecce had a great start to the season. Another win for them, 2-0 against Salerni Tano. They've got seven points to start the season. And, uh, yeah, they're looking, they're doing really, really great. Um, okay, right. Um, just before we get to Bad Jumper this week, just to mention, this is an international break. Um, we will be doing a Q&A on Wednesday this week. And we're going to do a preview to um, the Italy game. I think we're going to do it on Friday. Um, yeah, this we're doing week. it on Friday but for patrons. In the round. Yeah. Yeah, we're having to do a bit of a shuffling round because of schedule this week. We will do a proper review, preview of the game. We're going to review this because there's a few contentious decisions with Spalletti's first squad. The, the absence there of Dodgy, uh, especially, um, which is, and which is unacceptable. 
Just annoying me. Certainly a dodge is unacceptable. And so we'll discuss that um, for sure. And we're also, yeah, we're going to also, we're also going to discuss about the, um, the, the absolute shambles uh, of Italian marketing that we've seen in the last week and uh, Italian <laughs> Serie A. Um, a few names are going to be mentioned um, on, on uh, Friday. We said we're going to start naming names. <laughs> they destroying the league, so we're going to start naming names now. So they, that's for our patrons on, on Friday. Uh, right, let's do Bad Joe and Prem Face of the Week. Bad Joe. Um, yes. All right, other, other than the Milan and Inter show and the Lautaro. And I Lattoria, have one. So. And before you get to the... Nemanja Radonjic goal against Genoa in the 95th minute. Go and look at that. That's my badge of the week. Wow. Cool. He's wow. a good player. She's a great little dribbler. He's just... Damn. <laughs> Stunning. Goal. Stunning. Yeah. Good job he didn't get subbed uh, before that. <laughs> yeah. He was sub yeah. last season. Yeah. Right, I've got Salernitana sporting director um, <laughs> De Shank, Massimo Deshanktis, the former the former goalkeeper, uh, Morgan Deshanktis, sorry. Morgan, yeah. um, and um, so he was responding, he, he did a press conference responding to the attempts in the last hours of deadline day, out of nowhere, uh, Wolves tried to sign Bulai Dia, the Salernitana attacker, and Gary O'Neill uh, tapped up According to the Shanktis, tapped up Dia, rung him up, basically unsettled him, basically didn't say these words, but pretty much tried to make him force Selene Turner to sell him. And do, which Dia tried to do. Um, Selene Turner, obviously, with a few hours left to go at the window, weren't going to be able to find a replacement and weren't going to sell him. Also, the offer was, was, we don't know what it is, but apparently it's one of the most insulting offers. There's, there's ever been. Um, it was it was peanuts basically, um, and it was. I think it was apparently there's rumours it was less than actually the money that Salernitana paid paid for, for him. Yeah. <laughs> paid for him. Um, so pretty fun anyway. So DeSantis does this press conference, and all I could think of when he did it was Liam Neeson in Taken. Liam Neeson, if Liam Neeson spoke in broken English and a thick Italian accent, doing all yeah. the greatest hits that Italians do when they speak English that I love, the mm. in this moment, Kleb, um, all, all the greatest hits, it was fantastic. Yeah. We don't he forget. We don't said, forget. Salernitana, don't forget. We will <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> it's basically Liam Neeson saying, I will find you. <laughs> you know? I will hunt you down and I will find you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, brilliant. It's so good. So good. I uh, love that. I love it. So good. No, that was brilliant. It's 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 absolutely fantastic. It's 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 one of my angry angry people in Italian football doing press conferences is gold. It's one of my <laughs> favorite things in life. Uh yeah. and the Sanctis, who actually had a good summer and I think is a decent sporting director, has an interesting future ahead of him. Um, yeah, but yeah, for sure, it was good. Okay, uh, prem face of the week. Now, my computer in front of me is basically frozen, so I can't see my notes. Uh, Robert, I can tell you what it is. It is yeah, one we're of having the a nightmare today. We recorded. We don't yeah, record this in five goes because our, our our software keeps keeps backing bad. up. It's, yeah. it's a complete nightmare. Yeah, it's um, dreadful. But I yeah. I can tell you what that is. And it is one of the greatest prem faces that has ever existed in as long as we've done this. I remember when I saw this, I tweeted it out. I sent it to you first privately with, I think, a million ha 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 ha, because this is so hilariously funny. BBC News did a BBC News 
did a report on Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish FA, and in the footage, they had another bald guy who also happens to be Hispanic, namely Pablo Zabaleta. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I can't stop laughing. And, and, and it's like, they do look a little bit similar, but still, it's... They're Why not do the Prem faces always do that? Why do they always mix up people? Do it whether it's the names. They don't care. I don't think they care. Whether it's the names, whether care. it's the faces, it's not whether important it's, enough. Whether it's the names of the clubs or the cities, or you know, it's it's oh gosh. <laughs> and and it is Pablo Zabaleta. <laughs> it's not Rubiales. It is Pablo Zabaleta. It's hilarious. And it's so funny. Do you remember it when they so did funny. it? When was it? Was it when LeBron James died? Not LeBron James. Yeah, I've just done it myself again. <laughs> when Kobe <laughs> Bryant, when Kobe Bryant died, they did the news. The main BBC news report they did was um, was uh, uh, Kobe Bryant was. They did use a picture of LeBron James throughout the but whole. They don't montage. even look the same. Like <laughs> at least Zabaleta and Rubiales look because the of same. that news report. I mix them up all the time now because of that. Yeah. That's my excuse. Like yeah. I know the difference between them. Of course I do. But like, yeah. I mix it up all the time because that's just etched in my memory now. That do remember that time you went on Talk Sport? Um, it was been a lot which of time. one? I've been on when, when, when that when they called you uh, Nina. Nina. You, yeah, oh, that ended up going, on the clips of the week. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was funny. So talking about the talking. And she about said, the, "I was there to talk about the Coppa Italia," and she said, "Nina, she's here to talk about the Coppa America." She didn't have a single thing right, and it's like so she it was, got so basically three prem faces yeah, in, in, in one. one. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really really good. You couldn't script that, could you? No, no, that was hilarious. We got we got Nina, wrong name, a woman, actually a man, <laughs> talking about the Copa America when it should have been a different competition. Copa Italia, different yeah, and it was yeah. a, 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 a club tournament, not an not no, exactly. Tournament. No, it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> that, that is funny. That is really funny. You're you ended up on there in. Yeah, your then, second greatest talk sport moment after the yeah, probably, probably. The, like a rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. Can't believe him. Uh can't believe he got so triggered. Uh anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's leave it at that, everyone. Uh thanks for listening. And we will be back. Yeah, so Wednesday this week for QA yeah, yeah. and, and Friday then Friday for, for yeah, yeah. And, and as always, the, if you want to sign up, you can sign up on patreon.com slash TIFP or on Spotify. Uh, in their paid paid podcast section, um, and it's two ninety nine a month, excluding VAT. Brilliant! Thanks, everybody. Until next time, ciao, ciao.